0: Welcome to the Compelling Words podcast. The word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the word of God. Question this morning is, have you ever had have you ever had something that just took your breath away? Something that just took the breath right out of you. Maybe it was the beauty of nature, you know, a waterfall, or a sunset, or fall-colored mountains, anything like that. Or maybe, maybe it was your wedding day when you saw your bride coming down the aisle. I once asked Leanne, you know, Leanne, did, the first time you saw me, did, did I take your breath away? And she said, yeah, you scared me. <laughs> Maybe it was the first time you saw your child or your grandchild, you know. That moment where it just kind of takes the breath right out of you. Well, imagine seeing God. Imagine you're walking down the block and you come around the corner and there's God. How would you respond? How would you react to that? Well, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah had that moment. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6, and that's what we're going to read today. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah's writing this, so it's Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Above him were seraphim. Each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah is probably the most well known of the Old Testament prophets. It has been said that Isaiah is like the Old Testament version of the Apostle Paul. His message was clear. He spoke against sin and he pointed people towards salvation in God. He spoke to the common person and he spoke to kings. His ministry lasted, it transitioned through the reign of four different kings, and it lasted probably around 60-some years. One of the kings, while Isaiah served, was a king named Uzziah. Uzziah was on the throne for 52 years, and initially he was a good king. He turned Jerusalem into a fortified city. He equipped it for defense, and he brought out a strong sense of security to the people. But 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16 tells us that after after Uzziah created all this power, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And that eventually he was unfaithful to the Lord. He ended up getting struck with leprosy and he died. And so the nation is grieving the death of their king. And it's at this time, this point in history, when Isaiah is given this miraculous Vision. He gets to see into the throne room of God. He sees God. He sees God exalted, high and exalted, seated on the throne, the train of his robe filling the temple. And it says above him were angels or seraphim, angels with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, with two wings, they covered their feet, and with two, they're flying around. And over and over again, they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And their voice, the sound was so deep and so strong, it says that at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. If you would have talked to Isaiah after this moment, if you would have seen Isaiah and talked to him and asked him, What's God like? Without a doubt, Isaiah would have used that word. Isaiah would have said, God is holy. God is holy. And that holiness of God was made clear by what Isaiah saw and by what he heard. His holiness was on full display. And the angels were declaring it with their voices. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. You know, in, in our culture today, if you want to emphasize something, uh, you either, you either uh, highlight the words, underline the words, or you ital- italicize the words. Back in this day, they used repetition. Repeating something gave it a little extra oomph. God is more than holy. Holy. He's holy, holy, holy. By the way, when I studied this, I read a sermon by a man named Brian Bill, and Brian pointed out something really unique. He pointed out that nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is any other attribute of God repeated like this. You don't read the Bible and read that God is love, love, love. You don't read the Bible and read that God is truth, truth, truth. But holiness Holiness gets that special emphasis. That gets highlighted. That gets circled. That gets underlined. That gets italicized. God is holy, holy, holy. Well, that word to be holy means to be set apart. So what is God set apart from? Well, God is set apart from anything that isn't God. He's unique. He's unique because of this. He was never created. He was never created. Genesis 1.1, what does it say? It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The Bible teaches us that at the very beginning was God. God is the source for all the rest of creation. We have a real hard time understanding that. Because that goes against everything that we understand. Everything we know and see and everything we experience in our frame of reference has a beginning. Every person we met has a birth. Everything we see was either produced, made, created, has a put together, assembled. It has a beginning. It has a source. The truth is that everything around us has to have a beginning. We either have to accept that creation came from a spontaneous organization of random stuff... That pre existed, or that creation came intentionally from a God who pre existed. Those are the only two options we have. It's the only two options we have. We have to believe that something pre existed, that something was there at the beginning that initiated creation. We either believe that that something was God and he created intentionally or we believe that that something that preexisted was just random stuff that accidentally initiated creation. If it's God, if it's God that preexisted, if it's God that was there in the beginning as the Bible tells us, well that puts God in a whole different category than anything else. Because it means that he was not created. He's unique. He is holy. By his nature, because of who he is, God is set apart. He's unique beyond anything else. He is holy. God is holy. And he's not just holy in who he is. God is holy in what he does. He's separated from anything that is impure, anything that is sinful, anything that is evil, anything that is wrong. He is separated from that. Deuteronomy 32 verse 3 and 4 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong and just is he. You see, because God is holy, he is morally pure and perfect. His ways are perfect. He does no wrong. And once again, that is so hard for us to get our minds around. We, don't, we can't hardly grasp that because we don't see perfect. We don't see it anywhere. We see messed up. We see broken. We see ugliness. We look around and we don't see perfection. Perfection. Sometimes we see good, sometimes we see beauty, but we never see perfection. Our role models get busted for something secret and shameful. Those we look up to and admire often let us down. Our heroes, come to find out, aren't so heroic. We get disappointed when we find out someone who has inspired us has a skeleton in their closet. So we we see all the broken and we see all the messed up and so we begin to think that there's no perfection anywhere. Perfection's unrealistic. We even begin to think that perfection is unrealistic for God. There's a lot of people today who will, who cannot accept the fact that God is sinless. Cuz nothing's perfect. No one's ever perfect. Even God cannot be perfect. But that's exactly what makes God God. That's exactly what makes him holy. That's exactly what sets him apart. That's exactly what makes him unique. That's exactly what makes him holy. Because he is perfect. He is pure. The disciple John wrote and said, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's exactly what Isaiah experienced. He came face to face with a holy God. And when Isaiah looked into that throne room and saw God, the pure holiness took his breath away. It rocked his world. Look again at Isaiah 6, verse 5. What did Isaiah say? When Isaiah encounters the holiness of God, when he sees God face to face and encounters that holiness completely exposed right there in front of him, he says, woe to me. Woe to me. Now the definition of that actual word, it means this. It means an impassioned expression of grief and despair. Woe to me. Intense, impassioned grief and despair. But let, let me translate it into modern day slang and I'm still even going to soften it up a little bit. Isaiah saw the holiness of God and Isaiah said, oh Crud. Oh, crud. I am in trouble. It's like the little boy who was playing in the yard and he saw a snake slither just as it went under a bush. And he ran over there and he saw the tail of the snake and he pulled on that tail and yanked it out. And he realized he had much more snake than he bargained for. It's exactly what it's like. Notice how Isaiah responded when God was revealed. When, When he saw God, he didn't say oh, wow, that's awesome. He didn't write a song. He didn't write a poem. He didn't take a picture. He didn't give thanks. He didn't offer a prayer. He didn't even just soak in the moment. When he saw how big God was, he also saw how little he was. When he saw how holy God was, he also saw how sinful he is. Have you ever been instantaneously overwhelmed one minute everything's going just fine everything feels real good and the next minute all of a sudden you're in a pure panic that's where Isaiah was he was all well and fine until he saw the holiness of God and then it was pure panic what am I going to do I'm a sinner standing in the presence of a holy God oh crud we can, never, we can never own up or understand the filth of our sin until we first understand the holiness of God. When Isaiah, when we see how great, when we see how great God is, we immediately recognize how non-great we are. And I'm pretty sure non-great's not a word, but you know what I mean. The prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk prayed to God. And in his prayer, he described the re, his reaction to the power of God. In Habakkuk chapter three, verse sixteen, it says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. I wonder if we don't tremble enough before God. I wonder if we take the holiness of God too lightly. You know, our culture today, we have an expression and it starts with holy, holy, and then is followed by something very offensive. Something that is a word used for excrement. We attach that to the word holy, which is a description of God. Think about that. I wonder if we don't tremble enough before God. I wonder if we take God's holiness a little too lightly. Several years ago, two comedy writers, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, uh, did a sketch that they called "The Two Thousand Year Old Man." And in one part, in one of the skits with that character, Reiner interviewed Brooks, who played the part of the old man. And at one point, Reiner asked the old man, "Did you always believe in the Lord?" And Brooks replied, no, no, we had, a, we had a guy in the village named Phil, and for a time we worshipped him. You worshipped a guy named Phil? Why? Well, because he was big and mean, and he could break you in two with his bare hands. Well, did you have prayers? Yes, would you like to hear one? We would pray, oh Phil, please don't be mean and hurt us or break us with your two bare hands. Well, so when did you stop worshipping Or when did you stop worshiping Phil and start worshiping the Lord? Brooks said, well, one day a big thunderstorm came up and a lightning bolt hit Phil. We gathered around and saw that he was dead. And then we looked at each other and said, there's something bigger than Phil. (laughs) So there Isaiah stands. He's in the presence of this big and holy God. It's overwhelming to him and it exposes his sin and he knows without a doubt that he's unworthy. I'm ruined, a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flies towards him with a live coal from the altar and this six-winged angel takes this hot coal and touches it to his lips. Can you say ouch? Ouch. But we understand, we understand what the symbolism means. It's very, very clear. The hot coal purified his lips. It purified his filthy lips. And the angel even says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This was an act of forgiveness. And for those of us who are in Christ, we know what forgiveness is. Because in Jesus, we are also forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2.38 says that if we repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus, we'll receive the forgiveness of sins. The gospel message is that Jesus came to take our punishment, to take our sins, and that through him we can be forgiven. If we've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then that hot coal has touched our lips and we have been made clean. And if we have been forgiven, we don't need to fear a holy God. Before forgiveness, before forgiveness, our sin, our filth prevented us from being in a relationship with God. We were unworthy of God's presence. And even more than that, we would have to be punished for our sin. But if we've been forgiven, if we've been forgiven and made clean, then we are no longer guilty and we are no longer condemned by our sin. Isaiah said, I am ruined. But in forgiveness, we are fixed. We are restored. Isaiah had quite the experience with this throne room vision. He experienced God's holiness and that caused him to recognize his own sin. But did you notice what else he said? Notice what else Isaiah said. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized his own sin, but he also recognized the sin of those around him. What about us? Do we recognize the sin around us? Do we grieve over the sin of our world? Does the lack of empathy and compassion for others bother us? Does the general disregard for purity in speech and actions make us sad? Does it bother us that biblical values and standards are ignored or even criticized? Does it break our hearts to know that there are so many people, people we know who are still under the guilt of their own sin and without forgiveness? Holiness is a standard of being set apart, pure and perfect. And in our own effort, we are far from that. But in Christ, we are forgiven. What about those who are not in Christ? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send After that coal touched his lips. After the angel said, your sin is atoned for. The Lord asked Isaiah, who will I send? And Isaiah said, here am I. God asks us that very same question. There are people all around us who need forgiveness. There are people who are still under the guilt and condemnation of their sin. There are people who do not have the grace of God in their life. And who will go, who will lead them to the cross, who will bring them to Jesus to be forgiven? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And I've always pictured this in my own mind, I've pictured this as kind of like that call to battle. The troops are lined up, the battle's outlined, and God says the fighting's going to be fierce, but it's necessary, it won't be easy, but our cause is noble. The line is drawn in the sand, whoever's with me, step across that line. And Isaiah steps forward. He knew the sin of the nation, so he knew that there was a great need. He also knew forgiveness, so he had the motivation. God has called us. He has commissioned us to the very same mission. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have this incredible gift, the greatest gift ever, forgiveness for our sin, eternal life with God in heaven. Why are we keeping that a secret? Isaiah saw a vision of God on his throne. Isaiah encountered the holiness of God. And in that moment, he recognized two things. He saw his sin, and he saw the sin around him. And in that moment, he experienced one very significant thing. He experienced forgiveness. And then in that moment, he did something. He said, yes, I will Have we recognized our own sin? Have we been forgiven by God? If we can say yes, then the next question, the next question for us is the very same thing. Are we doing something? Are we living on mission for God? The Apostle Paul called it being an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. God is holy, God forgives, and God sends. If you've been a witness to God's holiness and experienced God's forgiveness, then He is sending you. Therefore, go. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please send an email to c.wordspodcast at gmail.com. May the Word of God be living and active in your life.